Hey everybody, uh, it's Matt Weaver here with Bible Truth Project. I have uh, an exciting interview today with Ryan Morrow. Ryan is the, um, well, you have you have the Ryan Morrow Show, but you also have, I believe, the Doubting Thomas Research Foundation, and you were part or still are part of the Clarion Project. Uh, you're a Shulman Fellow as well. All sorts of good stuff there. So thank you for agreeing to do this, Ryan. Uh, it's a joy to have you on the uh, the show today. Sure thing. It's great to be here. It's great to talk with you again. Yeah. So Ryan and I got to know each other a little bit on the trip uh, that we both took uh, to Saudi Arabia in 2019 with Joel Richardson. Ryan had been there before in a couple trips, and you've been there after that with uh, one trip or two trips after that? Uh, I think it's been one. One trip, yeah. and then you're planning some coming up this fall if everything goes well, et cetera. Right. Cool. So you kind of, if as I recall the story, you kind of got interested in the whole Mount Sinai thing, kind of a, a little bit of a similar story to me. Uh, somehow you heard, I believe, Bob Cornuke talk about it, et cetera, and it kind of sparked your interest. So tell us a little bit about kind of your interest into Sinai and how you got sucked in the whole world of researching Jabal laws, et cetera. Sure. I didn't really grow up in a religious household. Um, like we believed in heaven and stuff because who, who doesn't want to believe in that, right? I mean, it gives sure. you hope, but there wasn't anything substantive really beyond that. Um, if you asked me if I believed in God, it would be, it would just vary throughout the day. Um, and then when I was 11 or 12, um, that's when I started going to church with great, great resistance. Um, and I changed, uh, and, but I knew that. I had experienced something, um, but I wasn't convinced of Christianity or the Bible at that point. Like I, I felt like I felt something, something was out there, um, but to believe in this book and, and to think Christians have it right, um, I would have to do further research. And I got kind of hung up on uh, the story of the Exodus because like if there should be evidence for anything, that there should be evidence of that. It's a big event in world history and if the Bible's true, you would think God would leave something behind so that people who are not of the faith could, could look at it and say, yeah, that there's some evidence that that happened. And everything I saw said no evidence that to substantiate that story. Um, there, I even had a kid's Bible or a youth group Bible um, at that time, and they had notations in the side. And on some pages, they would mention like inscriptions that were found, but for the chapter uh, of the Exodus, uh, it said that uh, according to the academics, no evidence of it had been found. Uh, and so it, as I tried to reconcile that, uh, I started searching um, a little bit, and I believe it was my mother who told me I needed to read this book by Bob Cornuke, um, and she was really excited about it. And I found it very interesting that there's a book saying, well, we've been looking in the wrong spot for the Exodus route and Mount Sinai. That's why you're not finding evidence. Uh, but the pictures that come out were old. Um, the, and this is back in the AOL days. So you would get those, yep. those chain letters <laughs> a lot. Uh, and so uh, yep. when it reminded me a little bit of that, you know, how there'd be like sensationalistic claims like, oh, they found this or that. Um, and, it wouldn't be true. It, ju it just seemed a little fantastic. The the video was grainy and old. The pictures weren't too clear. Um, but for whatever reason, it just uh, tugged on my heart and it wouldn't leave me. And I kept reading the book, watching videos, 
uh, for years and years, even though I didn't ha have any reason to. Uh, there was nothing more I would learn by doing that. Um, but it, it remained on my mind. And then it, it made sense later when, uh, even though tourism was forbidden to Saudi Arabia at the time, uh, there was a, a series of things came together in a way that I couldn't plan that gave me this crazy opportunity to try to go into Saudi Arabia and maybe see these sites um, with a certain level of risk. Uh, and to make a long story short, um, I did it um, and then went back uh, two more times uh, to get more footage. I didn't go there intending to make a documentary or anything, um, but in order to explain what I was doing there to people, I wanted to put together some video montage so I wasn't saying the same thing over and over again because it takes so, so much time to explain. Sure. Uh, and then it just kind of became a film at that point. It's like, oh, if we just adjust a few things, maybe this can be a cool YouTube video. Uh, and I went on Glenn Beck's show um, to announce that that day I was releasing uh, Finding the Mountain of Moses, the real Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia on YouTube. And wasn't expecting much of a result, but it it went nuts. And so now it's in 42 languages. It's been broadcasted on uh, Newsmax TV, some foreign channels. Um, and if you put together the views that we estimate from different platforms, places that have copied it, um, and, and in all of its languages, we've got about somewhere between seven, to maybe eight million views on it. Well, that's incredible. Uh, so, yeah. And, and what happened after that is uh, Saudi Arabia opened up for tourism, but it still has to be, technically it has to be approved. You have to have a Saudi tour guide. They have to know where you're going. It all has to be approved. Um, and it was through Joel Richardson, our friend, uh, who wrote an excellent book, um, particularly for going through the historical references, uh, making the case for Mount Sinai being in Saudi Arabia. Um, him and his tour company he works with um, arranged for really historical moment that Matt, you got to be a part of. Yep. Um, and Joel was nice enough to let me co-lead that, uh, tour. Um, but he, he's really responsible for putting it together. Um, and it was the first officially Christian tour in Saudi history and the first approved tour to all the sites that like Mount Sinai and the sites that we think according to this theory are linked to Moses and the Exodus story. And it was great to have you there. That, I mean, that must have been really cool to be a part of that moment because it wasn't just a trip. To, uh, very few people get to go to Mount Sinai uh, in these areas at all. Uh, but you got to go on the first officially Christian tour in Saudi history. That was also the first <laughs> officially allowed tour right. to these spots. So yep. uh, it was great to have you there. It was unbelievable. I mean, the experience that I had, it, it was kind of a well, you'd say it was a God thing that even, you know, the opportunity for us to be part of it, but the, but to, to be there for me, you know, it's been a curiosity of mine for, oh, years, you know, de I'm not going to say decades, well, maybe decades. That's fair. Probably 20 some years since I saw the material the first about Jabal laws, you know, it's one of those things that you can't really gauge some of that stuff until you go there. It's, it's, yeah. it's, uh, I've spent a lot of time around archeological stuff in Israel and Jordan, Egypt, et cetera. And, one thing you'll learn is that when you're around that stuff, there's always difference of opinions. There's always, you know, yeah. uh, you're going to have some of that. But when you go for yourself, you can judge for yourself what you're seeing, what, what, what is it, what does it look like? Does this fit the narrative? And uh, that's one of the things I was excited to be, you know, to do on this trip, 
And the thing that kind of stood out to me when I was there, and, and I've been around the material, of course, a lot, but the strongest evidence in my mind for this mountain versus others, because there are other candidates, you know, there's the traditional site, and then you have um, the one up and closer to Jordan slash Israel, Har Harkum or whatever that, that some other people look at. There's, I mean, there's, I think, honestly, there's 23 plus candidates that could be Mount Sinai. But um, the thing that really stood out to me with this mountain was it just, number one was the Midian connection. Mid Midian, I, I know, there's differences of opinion of how how that would have worked, et cetera, as far as they were nomadic, et cetera. But the Bible does describe them being, um, you know, having an army, you know, different conflicts with the Midianites. So there was at some point some kind of an established, um, they weren't just nomadic, they were warring around. So you have to have some centralized uh, government system kind of to be able to pull that off. But, but going to ancient, what would have been Midian, uh, and then you see everything that's there. I mean, you see the well. Uh, we went to Magna, saw the, the spring, uh, Wadi Taib. Now, you have been to the oasis, uh, which is, you know, could be Elim or Elam. Um, I, we were within a mile, but we couldn't go. Yeah, ah. uh, sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's okay. That's for next time. One of the things when you do a historical trip like that, you know, things are going to go yeah. wrong. <laughs> it's all good. Well, and the crossing side would be cool to see too at some point. I've been on the Nueva side, but to see it from the Saudi side would be kind of would be kind of cool. But we'll we'll, we'll, well you basically time. you basically were though. I know. I mean, I mean the view looking across was the same. The the same thing. Yep. Right. Yeah. It's but it was it was just unbelievable because and and the thing that really kind of struck me was the the locals. Uh, I know in. Uh, in Jordan as well, there's a lot of like local Bedouin traditions that you don't hear about through Western sources. Um, you don't really hear it, but through archaeological sources, etc. Just stuff. It's just history. It's stuff that they talk about. Yeah. I was kind of blown away by the tour guide um, stuff that she said. Stuff that I think it was her brother that was also a tour guide. Stuff that he said. How this stuff has been part of their local history for generations. Um, you know, they, they weren't just necessarily approaching from it from a Muslim standpoint as far as Muslim history, but they're approaching it. It's like, oh yeah, Jews were here, et cetera. Like it wasn't. It was like an academic conclusion. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. more of a, yeah. I mean, it was, they, they didn't necessarily just from a religious conclusion. It was like, this is our story. Our grandfathers told us this, blah, 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 blah. And here's the evidence. And it's like no question in their minds. And I know from yeah, they think we're the ignorant ones, right? Oh, totally. Like we come from a Western perspective, and so we're skeptics. So we're like, oh, let me show you what's in your backyard <laughs> and the significance. And they're all like, yeah, yeah you, you Americans are making it like it's a big deal. We we've known this for forever, <laughs> pretty much. So I think I I get kind of, um, it's kind of frustrating, I should say, for for us, you know, Westerners. We like to grab and claim and do all sorts of fun things like that. But you know the local, the locals, they know about it. They talk about it. They recognize yeah. it. So for us, it's just kind of like, you know, they're like, "Welcome to our world. We know this already." So that part was really cool for me to see. Um, but of course, going to the mountain, I mean, that was, it kind of sealed the deal. I mean, what other place can you go to, of a candidate where you have everything line up like that? 
There just right. isn't anything else like that. Yeah, that's one of the minor drawbacks of my film coming out was that uh, the, the sense of awe, I mean, everyone's going to get a sense of awe, but to go from having poor quality video and pictures not, and, and frankly, I thought it was going to look not as dramatic as they, as they made it sound. Um, so I figured there'd be a little disappointment there uh, until I was there the first time. Um, but one of the drawbacks of my film coming out was that we, we had basically the first high def yeah. um, footage, drone footage and stuff come out of these sites so that people could see uh, these accounts of the, this evidence being there is true. And when you look at it, it's more dramatic and, and more revealing and more powerful than in the books you've read and the videos that you've seen. Um, but still, even with my video, Finding the Mountain of Moses coming out um, and giving people the ability to see this evidence, I still feel it doesn't do it justice. Yeah. I think most people on that trip um, felt the same way, uh, that even though I've got high quality drone footage, um, that, that's like the best you can get. When you're there, it's different. Um, and I think some of that is seeing the proximity of everything, like seeing the layout and how it makes so much sense, how the directions that are described in the book of Exodus, where they say they went east, west, they went south. And when you're there and you're trying to verify our theory and you see how those directions make sense, they're not like random, it's yep. they're describing the way the valleys are laid out. Right. And where the the intersections are, um, and to see it be that precise, and then see all this evidence of human activity compatible with the biblical story in one relatively small area, I think that's the wow factor for a lot of people um, because you put it all together, and you might you might have someone out there that criticizes one piece of evidence. They say, "Oh, well, the spot that we think is the golden calf altar." Well, it shows evidence of bull worship, but how do you know that was a Hebrew thing and not some other cult? And you say, you know, there's counters to that. But when you see that near the altar at the foot of the mountain, like the Bible described, made of uncut stone, um, and then the pillar stones there that may be linked to the 12 um, pillars that uh, God told Moses to set up next to the altar of uncut stone, and all these other things, um, the area that we think is Elam with the 12 wells that still has 12 wells today. I think that's where a lot of the power, the, the power of the experience comes from is actually traveling that route and seeing how uh, the, all these little details in the biblical story make so much sense once you are, you're actually there. Yeah, you have, you've been there four times, uh, correct? I think I might be at six. Are you six times? That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm not sure. Is it five or five or six? But yeah, I've been there once. You know, go figure. Well, there's nothing <laughs> like your first first time going to Saudi Arabia, though. So I mean, it's amazing. Oh man, you know, I uh, well, we'll we'll we'll. I want to go back. Definitely, I want to spend some more time. There's a couple places I want to just spend actually spend some time. Uh, yeah. be really cool. Like the split rock. Um, you know, and, and I get it for the trip that we had, we had, it was kind of in and out and I was kind of okay with that because being a fully above board trip, you're not sure exactly what the reaction is going to be. 
how people are going right. to take that, et cetera. So I was kind of okay with it being short and sweet. Uh, but I would love to, to go back and spend a little bit more time digging around, but huh, digging around, just looking around. Yeah. Well, I mean, on that point, has, no one's even really dug at these yeah. places. I mean, there was a, a, a very limited Saudi excavation of the altar that we think is the altar Moses built, yeah. um, which did find evidence supporting the biblical story, even though the Saudi academics involved um, kind of cast doubt on it. But what they found there, the um, organic material, the evidence of um, ash, um, all of that um, really substantiated the biblical story. But all this evidence is just out there. Like it's not, there hasn't been a lot of research in the area. Uh, Saudi Arabia has been hostile to archaeologists, to Western influence. Uh, in fact, one of the times I was there, they had their first ever international archaeological conference. And it was this big deal with all these lights all this media, guys with swords dancing. It was like this big thing. And I mean, compare that to America where like, oh, you're having an, uh, an archeological conference where people from around the world come and, you know, are just talking about archeological stuff. Like not that big of a deal, but that shows how much ground there is left to cover in Northwest Saudi Arabia specifically when it's a big deal in Saudi Arabia that they're doing anything in regards to international archeological expeditions. Uh, so if all this evidence is above ground, imagine what's going to be found once there are digs and other um, realms of research that are that take place. Uh, that's one of the things that we're fundraising to try to do uh, through the Downing Thomas Research Foundation, because there's a lot more to explore and very, really relatively very little research and, and digging has been done at these sites. So there's a lot more to be found. In some ways, like what are you, are you working? Are you trying to work? I should I should say, through uh, like local archaeologists. Or are you looking to bring in international teams? Whatever works. Um, I, I mean, there's some stuff that we can do on our own. Um, we're not going to be digging and taking things out. Sure. That'd be breaking the law and unethical. We're not doing that. But uh, there's stuff that on the ground that uh, we can do related to the possible Red Sea crossing. Um, basically, just driving around trying to get the exact route down to the point where we can say like this is like there might be two ways to get to a certain yep. point i mean wouldn't it be great to try to figure out exactly which one and just get as precise as possible um we definitely have to do more research uh into the area where we think the bitter springs of mara took place we have sure. some exciting things um that we've done um to map out where that is and i visited it uh once um, but there's a lot to do with that um, I mean, we have a long list of things that we can do on our own. And then if we were to fundraise to get the ability to bring in an international team, um, uh, of course, we would ab absolutely take that opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome. There's, uh, I mean, I've, I've done some digging, just my curiosities as well around the stuff. And some of that stuff's kind of hard. I know, I'd be very curious, I mean, you don't have to share it with us now, but where, you're, where you think the location is of, of the Bitter Springs. But uh, sure. the Elam thing is is pretty straightforward because like you said, there's 12 wells there. It's uh, That's actually something uh, the Caldwells had seen back in, goodness, the, that was probably mid nineties, late nineties. Yeah. I think, um, I think it was the early nineties, like 92 or something. Yeah. They seen, you know, they took some old footage of that. They kind of had thought that the entrance of Taib, um, 
that little stream of water that comes out somewhere in that area that that would was Mara, but there's some conflicts there potentially because of route. Like, how would you have come along the steep bank? Right. So I'd be curious to see what your opinion is. The crossing site, in your opinion, um, the Cornuke had the view down at the Straits of what's it called? Is it not? Uh, oh, the Strait of Tyron. Tyron, yeah. Yeah. He has that opinion. Um, some of the others, I think Fritz is one of those, Glenn Fritz, um, I think Ron Wyatt himself, different people like that, had proposed uh, Nueva. Is, right. what, what is your opinion? Uh, right, as of right now, not, it's not an immovable opinion, um, but as of right now, I do favor Nueva um, because they didn't have Google Earth back then. That's a relatively recent invention. Yep. Um, right. And when you look at it from Google Earth, and you look at the biblical account, uh, if you're going along that, um, that edge of the Sinai Peninsula and you said what most matches the biblical account, I mean, Nueva is just a remarkable, it's like if you drew a painting of what it should look like. Yeah. Um, and you have the underwater uh, land, some people call it a land bridge, it's technically, technically not a land bridge, but it's, we'll say it's a land path. Um, that makes it walkable to go from Nueva to uh, northwestern Saudi Arabia. And then when they land in northwestern Saudi Arabia, they would have entered in this valley path um, to all these other sites that we talk about that we think are linked to Moses. Um, so I favor Nueva, um, re regardless of what things have been alleged to have been found underwater, um, because uh, a lot of that we don't know 100 percent, but there, sure. there are certainly um, very interesting observations about uh, what is in the coral there, whether the coral wrapped around the remains of Pharaoh's army and, and you can see debris, or whether that's all junk uh, that was just cast aside of boats. Um, uh, that, that would be a lot of junk, though. But um, it, it would be very, <laughs> I mean, maybe it is. I, I want to entertain both possibilities. But you add that very interesting possibility that the remains of Pharaoh's army are there. Um, and the, the biblical account of how they were boxed in by the mountains and only had one path ahead, which was into the water, or the one path behind them where Pharaoh's army had blocked them off. Uh, that perfectly describes New Wave of Beach. It's big enough um, to have that massive population. Um, the path to it uh, that they likely would have taken was the trade route from Egypt into Midian. So that would make sense that that'd be the path they're going out and the path that Pharaoh's army would assume they'd be going out because that's the route out of Egypt um, and it's what everyone would be familiar with. And then the Bible says that God tells Moses, hey, turn back and basically go off the path into the wilderness, into the mountains. And Pharaoh's army sees it and is like, they're crazy. They're, why are they doing that? We're going to trap them. Um, and when you look at the trade route above um, going across the Sinai Peninsula, into modern-day Saudi Arabia, which would be Midian, uh, you can see that that's exactly what would happen. There's a distinct path that you would take, everyone would travel, and then there are paths that go through the mountains and end up at Nueva Beach. Uh, so you put all those things together, um, and I think that the evidence right now favors uh, that path for the Red Sea crossing. And Dr. Glenn Fritz, obviously, um, having expertise um, in some of those types of studies, uh, it, it makes an extremely persuasive case. I think he probably did the most comprehensive study 
uh, that I'm aware of, of the different locations and theories about the, the crossing sites. Yeah. And he concluded that it's got to be Nueva. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a little bit like the film series, the patterns of evidence that present the whole, um, you know, academic view, I guess, or Egyptian view, and then the Hebrew view. Um, and I, you know, the, the, the bitter root or the bitter lakes, not bitter root, the bitter root, <laughs> Montana, close enough. The, the bitter lakes theory about, you know, somehow being trapped there and Pharaoh being drowned in a lake, that sort of thing, just because to, to you know, downplay it, I guess, a little bit, make it more plausible, make it more scientifically acceptable. Well, that's um, a stupid theory. I mean, I, I, to me, Pharaoh's army could have could have gone around the other side of the lake. Like, like that's what a military would have done. They would have like, been like, send half the people around, the, and we'll. Why are know. the Jews going in the middle of the lake? That's crazy. Maybe they would say send some of the army behind them to trap them, but you you would say split the Egyptian forces and go to the other side of the lake. Right. And, well, like and, it just and, and they lived in a they lived in an era where they were more. Um, how would you say it? I'm not, maybe spiritually aware. Maybe that's the wrong word, but you know the the whole there was a superstitious element to this um, that the, the lakes appeals to the rational mind, but it doesn't appeal to the spiritual rationale behind what was taking place. Because even like you have to be half crazy to really be pursuing people um, into whether it was at Nueva or the Bitter Lakes, any, any way you look at it, like if you're rational, you're going to you know, try to find a safe way to get, get across, unless this is like it. They're getting away, and it's the only option that you've got, and you realize it's, you know, well, whose God is better? You know, is it our God, Egyptian gods, their God, whatever. That seems, I mean, in the ancient world, it would have played into it. it would have played, yeah, it into, played into how the Egyptians view, viewed their gods, appearing on earth. So in their mind, 100%. they're, they're probably looking at the, the waters parting and they're saying, you know, that that's one of our gods doing our bidding. Um, and so much of, uh, the story of the Exodus is, is built around that with the plagues and everything. It's not just random disasters. It's right. just, it's, uh, um, it. it's basically debunking, um, Egyptian gods, uh, taking the symbols that they find credibility in and then, and then responding to it, basically debunking it. It's actually, in a way, it's the most caring and, and um, empathetic way of reaching the Egyptians if you're God, I think. Because it's not, it's saying, I know what symbols and what things you invest your credibility and your faith in, so I'm going to use those symbols to try to set you on the correct path. Uh, and so if you're in that Egyptian army and you see the waters parting um, and then it crashes down on you and it drowns the army. The, the rest of the Egyptians that hear about that are, would have to include, conclude um, we've got something theologically wrong, or maybe the gods are judging us. And that's why, um, according to depending on what date you place uh, these events in, um, it's very possible that the temporary time where the Egyptians uh, adopted monotheism uh, came like shortly after that. Yep. Yep, sure. That'd be like Tutmosis the third potentially, or sure. Tutmosis the fourth. I think if I recall the chronology, I'm not an Egyptologist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's uh, it. 
it's a fascinating thing. I mean, the ancient world fascinates me tremendously because there's just, it's just a different world. It's a different, uh, it was just a very different time. People were different and they were, um, it, it, it created the foundations of the world we live in today. Um, but, but somehow there was a more of, of, a, uh, of an awareness to the spiritual reality of what was going on. And I think a lot of people downplay the exodus as, you know, well, how could this be slave population, blah, 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 not recognizing really the, the, the greater dynamic, um, if you will, clashes of, of the gods fighting over, I mean, you know, God taking a slave population from yeah. in the midst of a superpower and delivering them supernaturally. You don't just make this stuff up. There's not a lot of that kind of mythology out there where this is taking place from a people group. You've got it like Syrian mythology, which, I mean, you know, it basically ends up. Yeah, you're not going to make something up. Like if it's just a myth, if I want to create a religion or, or a story of, of my great people, if I had a people that I led, uh, I'm not going to make up a story that one sounds unbelievable. Um, and number two has so many specifics to it that can be easily debunked. I, I mean, if you want to go to the furthest possible extreme, um, the, mo the most you could say is that everyone honestly believed that this happened in the way that that was described um, yep. at that time. And there's no other conclusion you can, you can reach because it's just not written like something that's meant to be a myth. Uh, there, there's just too much in there that uh, you'd be able to turn around and debunk the myth with. Um, and not to men mention that uh, a lot of the biblical stories uh, don't actually paint the population and the leaders in the most flattering light. Like sure. if you're yeah. a leader of, of these people, and you're like, I want to make up myths. Um, and I want to make up my own religion. You're not going to say, well, according to that religion, um, I screw up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Ryan Morrow. Morrow a, <laughs> a theology according to Ryan Morrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's, that's exactly right. It, um, yeah. Anyway. So now as far as some of the other Sinai sites, like have you been to the traditional site, seen some of the other candidates, or have you just focused on Allah's or actually Makwa? The other candidates, most of them you can read a lot about. Uh, like there's been so many excavations at the traditional site sure. in the Sinai Peninsula. And it was the fact that they found basically nothing. There, there's a, some people that uh, still argue that that's the right site. But sure. uh, the broad academic consensus is that it was a giant nothing burger. And yeah. they were go going through it and they didn't find anything. And that's why it became conventional wisdom that the story is wrong because it was hinging upon this um, traditional site um, that historically, actually, Joel Richardson showed this, the historical tradition of Jebel laws being Mount Sinai is much older than what exists in the traditional site at the Sinai Peninsula of Egypt. Um, so if you want to play the game and saying, well, what has the oldest tradition? Actually, the candidate in Saudi Arabia wins that. Yep. That's true. I think he, he places that some of the earliest tradition would have been what Philo of Alexandria saying that Sinai was the highest mountain in, uh, ancient, like in Midian, basically, if I remember the reference correctly. Um, yeah, it's, 
it's kind of hard to argue with with what's there once you're actually there. It's just unfortunate because the access, like you said earlier, academics haven't really been able to get in and excavate and actually see what's there. So I think, yeah, I think what, probably... what Joel said on the trip, uh, I'm not sure if he said, actually, I'm not sure if he said to me privately or to everyone, uh, but for all these things to be there, uh, just coincidentally, um, if you have alternative explanations for why each piece of evidence exists in northwestern Saudi Arabia and you go one by one, you say, well, here's some alternative explanations for each one. It still is weak because what are the chances of all these things that resemble the biblical story being exactly in that spot uh, so vividly? And so what Joel said was uh, you basically be, have to argue if you believe in God, but that this is the wrong Mount Sinai, that God wanted to do like the craziest episode of Punked ever made. Um, like, <laughs> like, oh, I'm just going to put all this there to trick everyone into yeah. thinking it's uh, the real Mount Sinai. I'm going to put all the evidence in the wrong spot. Uh, that's what you got. You either got to believe in, in that it, there's an insane coincidence that happened beyond mathematical probability um, or possibility uh, of all this stuff being in, in one spot, like the, the biblical account records, uh, or you have to believe that God wanted to punk the entire population for some reason we don't understand. Do you have any thoughts on the number of Israelites leaving uh, in the Exodus or participating in the Exodus? Um, I, I mean, I favor the, the higher estimates, um, just because that's kind of what the Bible clearly says. Um, but I know that there have been alternative um, interpretations and arguments saying, well, maybe the text actually meant this, um, you know, th this number that's more open to interpretation. Um, and I could see, based on the old theorized size for Mount Sinai, why that drive to make it a smaller number would be there. Uh, but now it doesn't seem necessary because you look at Nueva Beach, that's big enough for a massive population of, you know, one, two million people or, or whatever. Um, you, you look at the valleys that they would travel through in northwestern Saudi Arabia, no need to argue for a smaller Israelite population that way. Um, the plains in front of what we think is Mount Sinai, far more than enough to accommodate that population. Uh, so it logistically seems possible that the higher estimates, which are uh, the way most people um, interpret the Bible to say is the most straightforward and literal reading uh, it is accurate. What do you, what do you think? But I'm open to all the possibilities. Yeah. That's know. kind of my attitude too. It's kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I know I actually, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dr. Brown. I had, uh, um, He's a Hebrew expert, scholar, et cetera. He's a radio show. But I actually had, uh, he had a Twitter questionnaire that he put out quick and I happened to get a question, like happened to get in one of the, or to get a question in on his show. And so he kind of broke it down what his take would be. And basically he just said the biggest thing, I think it's, I don't, I don't know exactly. It's the Hebrew word. It starts with an E, but I think it's Elul or something along that line. Um, it could have been something else could have been Elev, or I'm not even sure, but it's, it's something like that. But anyway, uh, that how the, you know, the moderns have a, a way to understand what it means, but in the ancients could have pretend, potentially understood that a bit differently. So when he wrote it, was he thinking of how the more modern Hebrews would have used that 
word or right. was he thinking more how the you know potential other way of interpreting it kind of a thing so i don't know um he he kind of could go either way as well that yeah, told me we, a lot he's a hebrew scholar released not, a so, um yeah. a video um around passover going over some of the evidence that that's a historical account um and, and i did it um largely thanks to uh, Logan, who works at Downing Thomas Research Foundation and, and is really obsessed with this stuff. Um, and uh, it, it was remarkable to me that just how much evidence there was of that, of these slave populations that uh, suddenly leave Egypt at the same time yeah. or, or right after all these plagues yeah. hit and just devastate Egypt. So looking at the evidence for that, for really a massive exodus outside of Saudi Arabia or Egypt going outside of uh, Egypt. Um, that to me, I think lends some credibility to the larger estimates because uh, the record there shows that something like that did happen. Yeah. And numbers, I mean, numbers does an extremely good job of breaking down later, you know, after, you know, it would have been the next generation, but the book of numbers does give you a, a look It you know, by the time they're coming into the land, after the 40 years, they're not just 70, 80,000. Okay. They, they're a significant population. Now did all that population growth happen in the wilderness? Who knows? But by the time you're getting into, um, into, you know, the promised land, you're definitely, you've got more people involved. So exact number is probably hard to tell. Um, yeah. So have you have you done any research at all, like potential route leaving uh, Mount Sinai, the rest of the story that Exodus presents as far as going uh, going to. Oh, I can't think of the, the Kadesh Barnaum, some of those places. Yeah. So we're not ready to release it yet. Uh, there's we've got a million things going on that um, doors opening and 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 things to do. Um, but what, what I can tell you is this, is that we've been doing some research into um, combining the ancient place names that may have Semitic origins around the Arabian Peninsula, um, the, where Proto-Hebrew, um, which, which is arguable, but what we think yep. is Proto-Hebrew inscriptions where they've been found, um, along with other unexplained archeological findings around the Arabian Peninsula. Um, in order to identify patterns. And I think we're coming close to having uh, easily the most credible and precise theory of where the Israelites went um, after they left Mount Sinai and ultimately ended up in Israel, the promised land. Uh, and if that all bears out, because the research is still continuing, but it, it seems to really he heavily favor what I just said, um, I mean, that is massive ramifications for the understanding of civilizations. There's still huge gaps in yeah. understanding um, the different civilizations and who went, went where and what events took place um, thousands of years ago. Uh, there's not like a solid understanding of the history of the Middle East uh, down to that degree. Um, so it could affect the understanding of the region, but also even politically, geopolitically, could have ramifications because if we're right and we're able to show this, uh, then the anti-Semites that are out there that want to destroy Israel uh, and say, oh, well, the people that are in Israel have no really connection to mm, uh, the ancient sure. Hebrew, that, that's going to be blown out of the water. I mean, we're sure. going to, to really be able yeah. to show um, that this is the historical 
homeland of uh, the sure. Jewish people. Uh, so that's very exciting. Uh, speaking of international um, ramifications of stuff we've done, um, I'm not sure if you saw this, but I had to put out a video because uh, the, the, we started getting attacked a, a bit online, which I expected, um, but it came about in a different way. I had to put out a video because uh, supporters of the Iranian regime, uh, the Houthis, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, um, all the bad actors basically uh, started attacking my film. And basically the reason they were attacking my film and this theory that Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia, and they said this, is because the theory is good for peace. <laughs> and, um, and it's good for <laughs> um, you know, interfaith dialogue oh, and everything. And remember, peace is like the antithesis of what these extremists want and are craving. Uh, yep. So they, they were trying to say that this is all a Jewish plot. They said, I'm Jewish, I'm not. Um, but I'm a Zionist agent, whatever. Um, You're definitely Italian. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they're saying there's a giant uh, satanic Zionist Saudi conspiracy. Um, and, and that's what's going on with this theory. And so uh, wow. I had to put out a video responding to it. But the positive side is for it to be such a positive contribution towards peace that Iran, the Muslim Brotherhood, Houthi me, uh, media outlets all ha decided to invest resources attacking it. Uh, that means that uh, we've done something very good, I think. Well, not only that, you're probably, I mean, if they're attacking it, then people are seeing it in that region or, I mean, why else would they be interested? Right, right. That's interesting. We put it into 42 different languages and we made sure some of the first ones were uh, Farsi and Arabic. Uh, so it's definitely being viewed in these uh, different places. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. So what else are you working on? <laughs> um, fundraising to continue. Um, trying to get people to join the tours because I know uh, travel is a little difficult these days. Um, yep. And the Saudis are basically requiring vaccinations right now. Not everybody's comfortable with that. Um, I'm vaccinated. Um, but I, I know a lot of the people that are interested in this tour are not. Um, I expect the Saudis to loosen up that restriction. So you don't, when you're over there, you don't have to quarantine for like a week and, and make it this big deal. Um, but hopefully once that uh, restriction loosens up um, or people that are okay with uh, being vaccinated um, uh, sign up, uh, we can get tours going again, hopefully as soon as possible um, and as frequently as possible. Uh, because I'm excited to do that. And that also helps with us to do on the ground research because sure. we can do it while we're over there. It takes care of yeah. our travel expenses. Sure. Um, so uh, things are kind of on hold that way, but we're doing a lot of still academic research that can be done. Like I said, trying to map out uh, the route that the Israelites took from Mount Sinai, ending up in the promised land um, and, and various other initiatives behind the scenes that we're testing out that we're not ready to talk about just yet. Um, so the research continues, but, uh, in terms of exploration and excavation and that sort of thing, um, that's on hold right now because of the travel issue. So the, obviously you, you, is there any other type of projects that are in your scope besides Mount Sinai? I mean, is there other biblical stuff that's in view or do you just t target Sinai and the whole Exodus story? Sure, we're, we're mainly limited by resources, um, but we do have um, a researcher in Turkey uh, who is doing research on uh, a site that 
may or may not be linked to Noah's Ark. I thought that it was uh, debunked as just being a geological formation. Uh, so I didn't really, I, I kind of dismiss it as well for a long time. Sure. Um, but some recent research that's been done and things that just learning more about it um, and, and learning the reaction from uh, experts who we won't identify in the Middle East um, saying, hey, this deserves a second look. Um, that's that's something that we want to continue forward. So um, our, our, our friend uh, who also runs the YouTube channel, uh, I believe it's Discovered Media mm -hmm. um, and is one of our researchers uh, is over there doing that. So that's something that we're raising money to continue um, and get to the next steps with uh, different experts for actual excavation and preservation um, because that's coming up soon. Like that, that'll be groundbreaking um, in finding out whether this is a geological anomaly or whether it's actually an ancient boat or man-made object or, or what's going on there. Uh, the some of the next steps will require preservation and then actual excavation, different tests, and all yep. that costs money. Um, yep. But the fact that things are arranged for that to, to happen now, uh, that's, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Before everything was kind of frozen in place, it was like, well, yep. how, how do you get to the next step? Who's there right. to have the meetings and everything? Right. And uh, now that's that's been taken care of. That's awesome. Now I, I donated a little bit towards that and shared it on Facebook. So now I was excited, excited to see that because there's been a lot of, you know, I mean, the people have spent exorbitant amounts of money over the decades, like searching on Mount Ararat or this or that, right. or whatever. It'd be nice to like kind of solidify something, especially the, the site that you're talking about. I mean, it is a boat shaped object. Is it, is it, Noah's Ark. Yeah, uh, we just have to do. You know, right. we have to have more research. Have to. The, the thing that the they fact haven't that the dimensions done, match so precisely. It's crazy, right? Like if it's a geolog, but still, even then, because I tend to my impulse is more on the rationalistic, go with the scientific consensus, like more academic mind. Yeah. Uh, and so my bias was more against it because you had all you had scientists and you know people with fancy degrees saying. Uh, there's a geological anomaly, but research that hasn't really been heavily publicized because this is a taboo topic um, has taken place since then that has caused academics to privately reassess it. And I actually say, you know what? Not so sure anymore. And so you combine that with the fact that it matches the dimensions of Noah's Ark and is in the location um, that if, if you believe that uh, the boat um, the remains of the boat should be found in the mountains of Ararat, yep. not Mount Ararat itself. Right. That's a pretty strong circumstantial case. So uh, I'm not out there going out on a limb and saying that it's it. Uh, I'm just saying that the circumstantial case is strong enough that it warrants further research and expenditure. Um, because if it is it, I mean, that that's huge. Um, and if it isn't it, well, then we haven't really lost anything because that's been the consensus anyway, up until yeah. um, recent history with, with the yeah. recent research. Well, and there's never really been a thorough excavation or, or the technology that they've used historically was just pretty basic. And you that know, was that like the eighties, I think. Yeah. I mean, that, they know, didn't, they I mean, they didn't have, they didn't even have AOL instant messenger <laughs> and we've already like, thrown that away because he's advanced so much. So there's a lot like that needs to be updated. Oh uh, my word. 
Well, I mean, the scans they did they did do back then even there showed some interesting anomalies underground, you know, underground as far as that there's right. something there, but excavating it's kind of a different story. And, but but now with the the better ground penetrating radars and stuff like that that we have and the possibility because the government's involved to do some excavations, I'm very interested to see what comes of it. You know, uh, my cousin actually was over at the site oh three weeks ago, something like that, <coughs> and I just asked him because he went kind of like he doesn't know he doesn't know um, kind of what to expect. Like he thought probably. It, you know, it is, but you know, you, you just wanted to see it in person. So he, he was there and, uh, he was just like, it's a boat shaped ob object that looks like it slid down the mountain in a, in a mud flow, you know, that's right. Yeah. That's like, that's what it looks like. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, that's yeah. It's, it's another one of those things that ends up being, and this is my, uh, academic hat going on. Um, where I try to separate it from, you know, my own personal faith. Um, if it ends up being a purely natural phenomenon, uh, you would have to conclude that it inspired in some way the story of Noah's Ark because it's just sure. so precise. Um, sure. I think that people who, who don't believe in the Bible would at least have to concede that. Like, oh, they saw, if, if it's just a geological thing, say, all right, well, that that has it's too close of a match for it not to play a role in that story. Um, so it's either a geological anomaly that inspired the story, um, or or it's it if the story happened. That's cool. Yep. I uh, well, what else? <laughs> <laughs> um, between that and my, I mean that between that and my regular job. Um, with the counterterrorism stuff, uh, that's, that does take up pretty much all my time. But uh, for people that are considering going on a tour, um, hopefully um, with me as their, as their tour leader, um, why don't you tell people uh, how you felt when you were there? Did you feel safe, uncomfortable? Did you have a good time? Uh, was I a horrible tour leader? Did I yell at you? Did I insult you? A little bit. No. I probably did insult no. you a little bit. Yeah. I there probably a, did. There was the one time, I forget what it was, that you had a question and you were back and forth. And I was like, you just need to ask the guy. Ask him. And then he got kind of upset. And I forget what it was. But I have it on video that I do know. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll send you the video because I don't remember it because I'm, I'm a troll. So, like, you say I did that and it's like, well, which time? <laughs> Love it. No, it, we absolutely felt safe. I mean, it was... Okay, so the people that I know had, you know, uh, like I know the Caldwells, et cetera. So I had, I mean, they hadn't been there, of course, in quite a few years, but they gave me a lot of expectations of how Saudi Arabia used to be. And the stuff that I just wasn't sure is like, how is this going to go down? I mean, the the country, you know, is still fairly religiously intolerant as far as uh, the locals, like outsiders is kind of outsiders. But as a whole, uh, you know, how is that going to go down? They know what we are doing. They know who we are. They know what we believe. I mean, I assume, yeah, there's probably nothing going to happen. Uh, I did like the fact that everything was legal. Everything was above board. Yeah. Nothing was, you know, we're not breaking into anything. We're not damaging anything. We're, we're doing everything with uh, proper authorities and permissions, et cetera. I never felt. The accommodations uh, were good too, right? I oh, mean, yeah. Well, yeah. Voting. Better, better. And, Better accommodations, uh, accommodations that I've had in Jordan several times. I've been there. So. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. 
yep, yeah, that's I've true. But in some pretty ratty places there that were supposedly five star. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, it's the, the experience was great, unbelievable. Bus was good, food was good. I mean, there's nothing to complain about from that standpoint. You got free ice so, cream. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> we just had Saudis give us free ice cream. That was, was that, like that mosque we stopped at to use the restroom. They yeah, that's right. They gave us a bunch of free ice cream. Yep. Yeah, for no reason. The whole experience so, was crazy. I mean, it was. It was yeah. It was awesome. To see some of the archaeology that we did then further south, um, what would have been, I think, biblical D-Dan. I forget what the, the locals call that. But to see some of that stuff, the – that was cool. I mean, this is all part of history that outsiders really haven't had access to unless you were there on a business visa and, you know, browsed around and, you know, and there's many people that have done that, but from a tourist standpoint, it just isn't a thing. So it was really cool. And yeah. I, of course, recommend anybody to do it. And rather than, rather than be a, <laughs> a troll, internet troll and, and shoot stuff down when you've not actually been somewhere, it's one thing, it's one thing to debate, something when you haven't been somewhere it, it just look go look at it then then share your thoughts as far as w with some of the stuff because the same thing is in is is even in israel many sites there's debates and stuff but if you're not seeing it there's always these nuances that you just don't get through pictures yeah. or media or video whatever and it, it it just makes a difference like i've been in, in israel different times where i've talked to different experts you know this person's like nah there's nothing to do with you know there's very little evidence here that there was any population whatever then you talk to the next person of course there's evidence for all this and this blah 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 look at this 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 so you can in general and this is probably true for about any about any subject you want to pick um you're going to find people that have stuff out there that aligns with your, your bias, you know, and everybody kind of has a bias, but, but I look at the Bible, you know, I grew up in church, you know, I grew up in that kind of environment. I grew up listening to Bible stories, et cetera. To me, the motivation was not necessarily to prove the Bible true, but look, I've heard these stories. I want to get the context. I want to know, right what was this place like? What were these people like? What were the, what was the place like? What's behind the story? It's, is it, a, if it's a myth, you know, it, there's not going to be anything there. There's not going to be any evidence there. If it's actually true, you're going to find a lot of stuff. And you know what? You find a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it's is, cool, like the best great. way you can visit Saudi Arabia too. Like, I think if you're interested in the region, like even beyond the biblical um, issue, uh, it's just a great way to go to Saudi Arabia and see the Middle East um, and not go to not say, oh, I've been in the Middle East, but the place you went to was fully modernized. So you didn't really feel like you were yeah. there. Like, you know, if you go to somewhere and you're eating McDonald's all day and the accommodations are uh, an exact replica of the United States and, and everyone you see is like a, like a Western businessman you didn't really get a feel for the Middle East, but right. uh, on this trip to Saudi Arabia, you can go uh, with us and have, be fully comfortable, fully safe, um, and still see the Middle East and, and, and get a feel for um, what that's like to live in a tribal environment where there's Bedouins around, um, the, an area that has tried to resist modernity. No. Um, and it's important that you go soon because, uh, and I can't emphasize this enough, uh, Saudi Arabia is modernizing, and the area that they really want to modernize is northwestern Saudi Arabia. Yep. Uh, there's so much hype about them modernizing that area, building resorts, 
um, and transforming that area. So I, I have a big concern about in the future, if, we, if people wait too long, if they go there, um, number one, future access is never guaranteed. Yeah. Um, so if there's too, a million things could happen that cut off access. But in addition to that, um, it's good to go now when you can you have to travel through the desert for a while to end up in Mount Sinai. You look around, you can see it as Moses and the Israelites would have. If you're at Mount Sinai and you're by what we think is the Golden Calf Altar or you're at the Split Rock and you're, you look a few thousand feet ahead, a few hundred feet ahead, and, you, and there's a swimming pool and a hotel, you're not going to get the same feeling. Yeah. Um, and I'm not crazy for su- su- suspecting that that might happen because uh, I've been to the pyramids in Giza, Egypt. Yeah. Uh, that's what happened there. Yeah. I mean, you don't like, it's cool to look at, but you don't feel like you're in ancient Egypt. So um, I- I'm worried that that's what's going to happen. And then people will miss out on this just amazing experience in Saudi Arabia. It'll, it'll always be amazing to be there. It's not going to be the same if it's fully modernized and there's hotels and restaurants and stuff all around. You want to go there and and feel as if you went on the journey with Moses. Yeah, it was, you know, <clears throat> that is definitely one of the things that definitely stood out as far as it is like literally you don't have a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of <clears throat> people from other countries that work in Saudi Arabia, et cetera. Um, some of those groups... <clears throat> Filipinos, et cetera, you know, people from all over the world that work there. Some of them have traveled up there, but there's no industry built around the tourism at the site. So you literally, when you're going in there, you're going to be by yourself, you know, it's just you and some Bedouin houses around there and that's it. Like there's nothing else going on. So I definitely agree with that, that sooner because it's open and it's a miracle. I mean, people have waited decades for the possibility of tourists to get in to actually view, you know, to, to view this stuff legally and not have to sneak in behind underneath fences and all that good stuff and get shot at or get arrested and all the good yeah. stuff. And you experienced a little as bit of that happened. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Up until uh, you see it in the film a little bit um, yeah. where, you know, there are a couple of gunshots that went off. Um, and so we had to quickly get out of there with a split rock um, issues with, potentially hostile locals, um, issues with the Saudi government, with Saudi police. Um, it, it was a very different experience. So what you see in Finding the Mountain of Moses, that's not what it's like yeah. um, now. But think of, think of the timing of all this, just how amazing it is. It's like my my film came out and, and then Saudi Arabia opens up for tourism um, and Joel Richardson gets involved. And what's amazing about that is that we had talked um, just like on, on Twitter about other things uh, and he, we hadn't shared with each other um, anything about Saudi Arabia because number one, we, we didn't know that the other was interested in it. Um, but shortly after I came back on my second or third trip, I, I think maybe my third, um, I hadn't told him I was going to uh, Mount Sinai and all this. And he messages me, he's like, don't tell anyone, but you're never gonna believe where I got access to. Um, <laughs> And he told me, I'm like, guess what? I just got back from there. And we're both like, (laughs) what? Stole his thunder. And and, um, well, no, because um, Uh, no, it worked perfectly because then you had both of us without us even planning it. Like my film comes out, Saudi tourism opens up. 
Joel's book comes out because there has to be a book companion to my film because sure. my film's good yeah. visually for 20, but there needs to be a book that goes through the historical yeah. references and Joel's is, is great at it. Yeah. Um, and he had the contacts um, with a tour company uh, and the right type of tour company that right. worked furiously to make this tour happen. I mean, just relentless. Um, all those things kind of came together at once. Um, and being part of that story, it, it was amazing to see. Yeah. Um, it was like this opportunity was just came together, um, definitely not of our own doing, all those things to line up around the same time. Sure. Uh, so, yep. Yep. yeah, that's something yep. that we hope other people get to be a part of this moment as well. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe Logan can go too. <laughs> Logan, Logan has to go. If there's one per person on earth, it's Logan. For, for people who don't know Logan, that's like um, my main researcher um, and, and helps me run Downing Thomas Research Foundation. Yeah, Logan, Logan would love it. No, it's it's unbelievable. You know, I definitely want to go back. Don't don't want that to be the last time I go. Um, you have to see how you have to see how things go, et cetera. Yeah. But, oh, if, if yeah. I can mention one other thing before we go is also um, if I know that when you go to see when you watch my film, there's all these ads and stuff. If your church wants to do a screening, um, reach out to us. I, I want to get the film shown in as many churches as possible because the awareness of this is still like what would you say? Like maybe five percent, maybe three percent of like Probably. the entire. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not a lot. It, when you're interested in it, it's easy to surround yourself with people who are interested in it, and you think everybody knows about it. Right. But the more I'm out there in in the world and talking to people, there's very little awareness of all of this. Yep. Um, so please try to get Finding the Mountain of Moses shown at your church. I'm happy to do a speaking engagement either in person or more likely, um, I can do it remotely with the uh, with my uh, TV studio, the one that I'm using right now. Um, which is the quality is good enough, the internet connection, everything's strong enough that Fox News uses it um, uh, when I'm on, on there. So um, the technology exists for me to do a Q&A after your screening or to do a, lo a longer event or potentially to go in person. Um, but at, at the very least, please try to get this film shown at uh, your church, send it around to youth groups especially um, sure. because yep. they're going to get it's cooler. You're more of a rebel to be an atheist than to be a Christian in yeah. most places. In some cases, it's being a Christian is the rebel. Um, but it's important <laughs> that teenagers get exposed to this information um, as they're bombarded with uh, the opposite point of view. And hopefully anyone out there, um, if you're currently vaccinated, come on a tour. If you're not going to get vaccinated, um, then uh, make a plan. Um, to come with us next year um, because it's my favorite thing to do. I mean, yep. I'm, I am happiest when I am in Saudi Arabia, uh, which I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, and, <laughs> and it also enables us to yep. do further research. So by going on the yep. tour, you're actually contributing to further uh, research and, and the finding of further evidence. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Highly recommend it. So we'll wrap this up. Is there anything else you want to add? Uh, nothing. Just thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for being uh, a really fun part, uh, fun contribution to that trip. Um, I really liked hanging out with uh, your dad and yourself. Um, and uh, thank you for everything that you do with your YouTube channel. It's really great.
Yeah, it's cool. I actually just broke a thousand. I mean, <laughs> I'm like a nobody. I'm just slowly building here, but I broke a thousand last week. So I was like, yay. <laughs> oh, you'll get there. The quality of what you do. I mean, the the number of views you got on um, your testimony after coming back from Saudi Arabia, I saw you yeah. got quite a number of views there. Yeah. So it's something about subscriber count. It's a, view count matters more. Sure. Well, and it's not that for me. My whole thing is I just want to get the evidence out there to the right people. I don't really want to honestly, there's so many trolls in this world. So I don't really want the, the trolls to even find it, you know, like, you know, they're not going to believe in it and care about it, whatever. But no, the whole thing for me is it's fun. It's a way for me to kind of document things that I've been researching for a long time and been interested in and et cetera. So uh, again, thank you, uh, Ryan, for agreeing to do this and, and helping me out with it. And your website, again, D Doubting Thomas Research is the main one, correct? Yep, doubtingthomasresearch.com. Dot com. Perfect. Sounds good. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this one. And hopefully soon we'll have uh, some upcoming up, upcoming episodes with some other people that are interested in uh, Mount Sinai. But for now, this is it. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thank you.